The reading's taken from 2 Kings 2, and it's 19 to 22. 2 Kings 2, 19 to 22, and it's page 368. Healing of the water. The people of the city said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elijah, Elisha had spoken. Pray for a moment. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the imperishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality, when The saying is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Merciful God, merciful God, in your extraordinary compassion this morning, in your extraordinary love for us, come afresh upon us today. Thank you that you always have been, you are, and always will be our healer. Amen. Well, great to see you this morning. Um, I'm just going to do a fair bit of introduction and then come back to some things we've talked about before. So this morning I want to ask essentially a number of simple questions. The first one is this. Do you consider the world to be broken? Is it a yes or is it a no? Is the world broken? Not sure. It's not a trick, by the way. It's not one of those things where the vicar sort of says, ha, 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 I want to tell you something different to whatever you said. 
And obviously, we can think how we answer that in a number of different ways. For example, is it really about how you see the world? So classically, what we talk about, are you a glass half full person or a glass half empty person? Is it really about me? Purely about what I see? Or is actually the world that we live in or choose to live in or are called to live in or part of? Because actually I'd, ask, I'd, I'd suggest to you this morning that if you lived in Derna in Libya this morning, I wonder what, how you'd answer that question when darkness and death has come close. I was saying to the staff this week, if I think how one individual's suffering in my own life affects me, and then I think about the scale of devastation in one disaster, you get a sense of actually how dark that is. Or amongst our own community, if you think about Yulia and her family in the Ukraine, how would they answer the question, is the world okay or is it broken? Us here sat in this beautiful building in Bath that's been here for hundreds of years in a worshipping community here for over a thousand. You know, how you see, how you answer what is essentially a slightly misleading question and asking a simplistic question. Actually, there are lots of issues at play. So what is broken in our culture? Let me just do, say I've done a tiny bit of research. I've went to the left-leaning press I went to the right-leaning press and somewhere in the middle in an effort to try and kind of be vaguely independent. And the reality is, wherever you look in terms of people who are commentators on our culture, the issues about what it means to live in the 21st century in Britain, there's kind of fairly unanimous uh, kind of answer to that, is that actually, soundbite, broken Britain. But there is agreement that there are many, many things in our country that are broken. There's brokenness, there's darkness, there's pain, there's disorder, there's difficulty. Um, partly on your behalf, I forced myself this week to watch the first of a three-part documentary by Laura Kunzberg, the ex-BBC political correspondent. Um, and it's called The State of Chaos which were her reflection on the last five years or so of our political scene since David Cameron stepped down as Prime Minister. Now, it's fair to say I didn't start watching this with a lot of great expectations. But my main experience at the end of this hour was just of incredible sadness. Incredible sadness at the whole thing. Now, make it clear. I want to make it clear this morning. Our politicians are no worse than you or I. That's the kind of leveller. I'm not here to kind of sit in judgment on them. But what was fascinating and perhaps led me to kind of a place of even greater sadness was this sense of feasting on the darkness and brokenness, the frailty, the sin, and the staggering sense of self-righteousness that pervades our culture. You know, a sense of helplessness for me at a vision of the world without God. I know I'm a vicar, I would say that. While there's much to admire, much to appreciate, much to look, I know I'm kind of painting some, some, dark, some dark things this morning, but I do want to make that clear. The second thing I did 
uh, was I got so wrapped up in this story. I was fascinated to read this from someone called Coco Goff. People have heard of Coco Goff? Nods, not many nods, not many tennis kind of followers. Anyway, last week she won the US Open at the age of 19. It was her first Grand Slam as a 19-year-old. I think I'm right in saying Goff's father is a pastor. I believe she uh, is a Christian. And in her victory speech, she said something like this, which was fascinating. She said, thank you to the people who didn't believe in me. Like a month ago, thank you to the people who continually rubbished me and said I would never achieve this. When she was winning titles a month ago, she had a whole load of people who on social media bombarded with her that she would never make much. So three weeks later, she said, I'm here with this trophy right now. And I've tried my best to carry this with grace. And I've been doing my best. So to be honest, to those who thought they were pouring water on the fire, you're really adding gas to it. And now I'm really burning bright now. Now she was doing what she felt called to, her kind of sense of that Christian ethic of what it means to bless our enemies not just simply following in with the culture of our world. There are a selection of some of the issues we're struggling with to deal with in our country as part of understanding that, and these are very kind of well-worn territory. You know, we're struggling with our past. Wherever you go, there's kind of issues to do with what we've done in the past, how we've abused our power in the past, whether it's personally or a kind of a nation. We're struggling with our emotional and mental health. Our finances are, are shot. There's a pandemic of loneliness in our culture. Families are really struggling to to maintain and to be healthy families. We're incredibly anxious about the environment and all that we've done to the environment and want to try our best to try and fix it. But the age-old problem of greed and selfishness constantly seems to pervade us. We're struggling with our differences on every level and we're very restless, very restless and dominated and controlled by fear. How do we find real purpose? It's cheery this morning, isn't it? So what's the Christian response? Here's somebody. In the early 1900s, famously, uh, the Times newspaper sent out a questionnaire to people to said, and to specialists, to academics, to commentators, that essentially the question was this, what's wrong with the world? And invited by essays and answers. And some of the b- brightest minds in some of the biggest fields across the country wrote in all sorts of answers. But the Christian writer and author G.K. Chesterton famously sent this simple response. What's wrong with the world? Dear sir, I am. I am. Some honesty, some humility, some responsibility, an absence of self-righteousness. Fascinating. Now, those who know me a bit and those who've been around uh, this church for a while will know that actually the passage uh, that Melanie uh, read is a passage that I think is significant for us, but also for Bath as a whole. I had it in my licensing. I had a go at preaching it three years ago, so I'm having another go this morning. Um, 
What's the context? Elisha's taking over the mantle of Elijah as God's prophet. And we join Elisha as he inherits that mantle of the prophetic calling and mission to God's people, the Israelites. And there's a problem at this stage we get to. There's a big problem in the once great city of Jericho. That is a city it describes in our passage. You've got it open. Do have a look at it. It's only four verses I'm going to briefly look at this morning. The soil was rich, the climate was good, the city was well built and beautiful to look at. It had been an amazing fortress, but Joshua and the Israelites um, routed Jericho and Joshua cursed the city. And now they've got a basic problem, a really basic problem. The water was bad. The water was bad. And what the consequence of that, it wasn't just one person suffering, the whole culture, the whole people were suffering. So what's the problem? It's clear we see the people in this passage and also from other sources as well. People working really hard to make life work. They were working hard, toiling hard. But the barrenness and the fruitlessness that came with the fact that the water is bad was actually crushing them. People were in poverty. There was starvation and childlessness. And over 2,500 years ago, in a way that maybe we sort of take for granted, actually good water meant life. Good water meant life. Good water meant good life. Because it brought health, it brought mortality, it meant good water brought life to the people, to the land, to the animals, to the whole community. Without good water, things turned bad and they continued to go bad. Desperation, that's sort of almost like it's a final kind of attempt to kind of fix this problem, they turned to Elisha. Could he do something? to heal the bitter waters. So this morning as we think about some of the problems we're facing, maybe at home, in that work, in our families, in the communities, the challenges I've talked about and and kind of potentially laid out and some of the things that are going on in your head this morning, there's some of the things you're facing. Do you know what's God's perspective? What do you think God has to say about those issues? that isn't just a social commentary. I'm going to say something a little bit political, but one of the disasters for me of COVID, for the church in the UK, was that God was nowhere in the public narrative. It's a really contemporary tale of probably mostly us creating a load of stuff and then seeking to kind of sort it as well. And actually, for all the amazing beauty in a city like Bath, all the amazing things that are around us, all the kind of sense of privilege of being in a city like Bath, and there is a deep privilege of both being here today, but also being part of this city. You don't need to scratch the surface very much of people's lives to know that people are struggling. People are struggling. You know it. You walk alongside those people. I do too. So much fear, so much anxiety, so much frustration, so much loneliness, so much disappointment and confusion, so much need that actually we struggle to get beyond ourselves. So the question it kind of, that I'm wrestling with in a sense and this passage wrestle with is, so the question for us as a church this morning is, so what water are we drinking? What water are we drinking? Are we simply reflecting the culture, the values of the world we live in? 
or are you drinking something different? You know, and we can put up as many masks as we want, we can act the part, we can choose the right language, we can, but Christianity at its heart is a simple call for honesty and humility before the extraordinary God. Yes, we recognize we're made in God's image, carrying his image to the world, but, but also know that we're deeply fallen, completely broken, in need of redemption and saving by a God of grace who comes to us. And the question is, if we want to see the life of the Spirit, the life of the fullness that brings fruit from us and life and things around, then we need to be prepared to die to sin, to rise with Christ. And you may be sat in this morning and think, well, you've, Tim, you've no idea what problems I'm facing. But actually, I do know a God who does. And the invitation this morning is to come to him as you are, where you are, to a God who is full of grace, full of love, full of compassion towards you. So what does Elisha do? Elisha says in verse 20, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. I'm not going to go into all the technical stuff around this. Uh, Brian's touched on some of in, in some of our prayers, but actually uh, the issue is this, one of the great things about the prophets is this. And the reason we continue to need the prophets in our own culture and their own church is this, is that they want to listen to God for today and then they want to do it. They're not just interested in collecting information about stuff. They want to know what God has to say specifically about this. And then they're prepared to kind of point it through and work it through. To hear God's voice and to respond. Obviously, lots of literature about the salt and the new bowl, the old and the new covenants of those who've been in church a while will know of new wine and new, new wineskins and the call to be the salt, the salvation of the earth that foreshadows Christ. Bear in mind, this is Elisha and this is written a long time before Christ. But for all that symbolic stuff, all that stuff that does point to stuff, the point is this, the water needed healing. The water needed healing. And that's what God showed to Elisha. So this morning, my kind of invitation in a sense is, are you open to hear what God has to say to us, to you, about the challenges you're facing? Do you want his help? In a sense, it is a serious question because actually one of the things about wanting to listen is it might mean you need to respond (laughs) You know, we can hide behind all sorts of other things because it doesn't mean we've got to actually do something. And maybe God is speaking to you about some things that he wants to, to point out to you in your life and he's calling you to, to respond. And Elisha goes out, Elisha literally goes out to the source of something wonderful about Elisha going to the source. He's not treating the branches. He's going to the source of the issue. Salt of spring and throws salt in and says, this is what the Lord says. And he proclaims it. Elisha proclaims it. He says, I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. I mean, that's bold, right? That's the prophets. What we find here is Elisha in this simple act of faith. Pours salt into the source of the spring speaks God's words, and the waters of Jericho are made good. They're healed. No more fruitlessness. 
beautiful, sweet water is now there. Now, I don't know about you, but if there's a problem like kind of bad water, I'm going to suggest to you it seems ridiculous what Elisha has just done. Yet, Elisha, the, the scriptures here, sorry, says that what Elisha did all that time ago is still true to this day. The transformation was permanent and complete. This is a picture six years ago. It's still there. There's a kind of this little fountain that celebrates this miracle over two, two and a half thousand years ago. Pure water means flourishing and the city coming back to life. So again, the question, what or where are you drinking? Are we drinking? You know, as Christians, we believe that Jesus is the answer. We believe that we have the answer to the world's problems in and through Christ and the Spirit. Are we drinking there? Are we coming to the source of all life and receiving his life? Are we learning how to do that? Are we finding ways of doing that and then finding a way of kind of lead and help other people there too? A few weeks ago, um, a friend of ours who we hadn't seen for a long time um, came to visit and we were having a conversation. He works with the National Church. And we ended up talking about... Um, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. And actually, one of the things I kind of said he was asking, he was just asking my opinion on a few things. And I said, somehow my difficulty is I believe I have the answer the world needs. My difficulty is demonstrating it. So I don't need lots of more complicated sorts of all sorts of different strategies that da 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 as he starts to talk about all the national programs that are coming out. But they all have value. But for us as the church, we have Christ. God has given us his spirit. He's called us to live and to demonstrate his life to a world that's in deep need. In a sense, we still have the answer. The Lord is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals us. This healing of the waters echoes the story of Revelation right at the end of the Bible in Revelation 22. And this is just read verse 1. And two, and he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and in the middle of its street. And on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. People I need, we need, our city needs that river of life. And you and I as Christians have been given the keys to that. Discover the life and the presence of God himself and the person of Christ and the power of his spirit. And this account that we find in Elisha is both history and prophecy. It's history because it actually happened and is still commemorated now. God healed the waters in and through Elisha, but it also points to our Lord Jesus Christ and the greater healing of the nations. With that new bowl, God sent his one and only son to save the world. Not to judge the world, as John 3.17 says, but to save the world. To save the world. To save the world, not to judge it. Jesus broke the curse of the judgment 
broke the power of sin and death. And he ushered in the healing power of his glorious kingdom. Do you know what? I've fallen temptation to this so many times. The law and the works, my own works, will never be enough, will never save me. And still I don't learn. Still I'm trying hard all the time to do life without God. So do we need this morning, as a kind of call really, a sense this morning is to, to call us back to God himself, to the source of life himself. Is that what you need this morning? Do you need to drink deeply from the river of life? In and through Christ and the Spirit, there is hope. What is currently looks dead, there can come back to life. God is the God of resurrection. What's barren can breathe again, can come to life again. What's unhealthy can be made whole. Come, Lord Jesus, I pray. So this morning, if you're sat here, sort of lost hope a bit that God will never do anything in your life or you're too difficult, or you've done too many bad things or whatever, 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 please don't lose hope. God is the God who makes bad waters clean. Receive his embrace again this morning. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to say a few things again this morning. I want to thank you that you come to us, that in all our restlessness, all our difficulty, all of our trying hard, all our distractedness, that we often behave like sheep without a shepherd. And I'm sorry, Father, where that's true of me. And I'm sorry on behalf of the church where we behave like you're not present in the driving seat of this church. I'm sorry. Sorry where our desire to control and dominate has taken you off first place and put other things ahead. Forgive us for our pride this morning of trying to do things on our own, make things work on our own. Would you humble us again? Humble me again? Come afresh this morning, I pray. Holy Spirit, come afresh this morning, I pray, in mercy and in great love. You know us by name. You know every hair on our heads. Would you come to us this morning? Because we need you. And Father, I, lastly, I just pray for us as a church, as, we, as I spoke 1 Corinthians 15 again, set us free from the curse of sin and death again, that we choose your life this morning, Jesus. The precious name of Jesus. Lead us into the fullness of your abundance of your life by giving your rightful place in our lives and in this church. You alone are our king. It's your kingdom first. Father, would you help us realign our lives where we need to? Father, where we need just a word of encouragement this morning that you're with us, I pray that we'd hear your tender whisper. 
I know you, I love you, would you come to me? Come, Holy Spirit, afresh, I pray this morning. Renew us, revive us. In Jesus' name, amen.